Isaiah 40, verse 27 says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And Father, we just ask this morning again for the grace and the help of your Holy Spirit to understand this portion of the word of God, that, Lord, every intent behind why your spirit gave this to us initially would find its place to speak to each and every one of us this day. Lord, we pray, prepare us, give us an ear to hear and a heart to receive, and we ask now that you would just speak through what you have already spoken in the word of God by your spirit. Bless your word, Lord. You know what we're asking, and we pray you would speak to us each now expectantly, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Now, is it possible that perhaps recently, or maybe even today, you find yourself feeling a bit weary? That could be being weary physically. Maybe for some it's feeling weary mentally or emotionally. Maybe it's even feeling a bit weary spiritually. The Bible even speaks of becoming weary in well-doing or weary in doing what is right. And that is a common struggle from time to time for all of us on occasion to feel weary. And perhaps I think that one of the most important things in relation to our personal condition as people, is what our thoughts are in our mind as it pertains to our views about God. Probably one of the most important things about us is what our thoughts are towards God. And look, people have views, as you can tell today, on so many different things. Lots of different views, and we have created a way now where people spend a lot of their time expressing their views and then checking everybody else's views and then expressing their views in relation to other people's views. And I can't help to wonder if perhaps that could even be part of the reason many times why we are so weary because we're weary of all the different views and trying to sort through them. Well, look, this passage is an encouragement from the Holy Spirit. There's no fake news here. This is the truth, and this is an encouragement from the Holy Spirit to realign our view on God, to realign our focus on the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40, it's a wonderful chapter as a whole, is a chapter about the greatness of God. And it's a chapter about God's view from his greatness on all things, particularly the greatness of God in comparison to the feebleness of man or to the weakness of man. In fact, particularly if you just glance back at a few verses, you can see this. Look back at verse 12 in chapter 40 here. He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow 
of his hand. Again, this is speaking of God. You know, they say, I don't know if it's 100% accurate, they say that if you were to take all the water of the earth and try and put it into a pool over the surface of the United States of America, that you would need pool walls 90 miles high. And here God says, how much water is there on the earth? Oh, you could fit it all right there. All the water that covers the surface of this globe, God says, I can put it all right in the right in the hollow of my hand. He says he has measured heaven with a span. Again, we continue to find the universe and the solar system. He thinks continually increasing. And God says by the span, it's about, it's about this big that he can measure the whole thing with his great can. Who's calculated the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales, massive mountains, and God can weigh them out. He's put them where he wants them and the hills in his balance. Look what he says, verse 15, of of God in comparison to humanity. Behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. The merchants oftentimes, to show their honesty, would just blow the dust off of their scales. Look, he lifts up the aisles as a very little thing. So again, the nations is a picture of all of the collective strength of humanity, all the nations. And he says, all the nations, the collective strength of humankind to God are like a drop in the bucket. They're just like light, weak dust. He can just just blow it right off the scales and be done with it in his greatness. He says down in verse 22, look with me there. He says, it is he, God, who sits above the circle of the earth. How did Isaiah know that? Well, he didn't have to. God knew that because he created it, but it's not flat. It's a circle. And all of its inhabitants, you and I, are like little grasshoppers. God who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes, those of power, to nothing. And he makes the judges of the earth, our great politicians, good and bad, useless, the Bible says. Again, in connection to his ruling over all things. Verse 25, he says, To whom then will you liken me, God declares, speaking first person, Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high. Get the uplook instead of the outlook, God says. And see who has created all these things, who brings out their host, that is all the stars in the solar system, by number. He calls each one of all these stars by name. He knows each one. By the greatness of his might, he says, verse 26, and the strength of his power, Not one is missing. Now, despite the reality of the greatness of God, as I said initially, the reality for all of us as people is that sometimes we still grow weary in our human weakness. Because though God is great and infinite, we're finite beings. And sometimes we become concerned with how we're going to make it because everything just seems too great and too difficult for us from time to time. Well, that's what our verses today address for us. God's power experienced in our human weakness. God's limitless power in our limited human capability. Look with me in our text here, verse 27, where he says there, verse 27, God says, Why do you say, O Jacob... And speak, O Israel, saying, this is what God heard them saying, whether in their hearts and minds or out loud, my way is hidden from the Lord. He doesn't see it. And my just claim is passed over by my God. So you can tell from verse 27 here that God saw his people struggling. 
He could see them losing heart under their heavy circumstances. Now, contextually, the nation of Israel, this is a reference of time when they were in the consequences. Many of the nation of Israel had turned their back on God. They had rebelled against him as a nation. And this, of course, ultimately resulted in the nation first struggling and then ultimately being taken into captivity to foreign nations where things only got worse. And they were subjected to moral corruption. They were forced to have to deal with the Babylonian uh, pagan world system that was constantly being forced upon them. And this was a time period, this and other things, that brought hard times to people's lives in many ways. And so even the people of God were going through a difficult time. It was a difficult time nationally. It was a challenging time for people personally. And instead of thriving, many people were actually just surviving. They were doing whatever they could to just keep their head above water. Ever felt like that? Where you're literally in a season or time where it just feels like you're constantly just doing whatever you can to just keep your head up above the water. Well, this is what the time was like for God's people nationally. And so God sees their weariness. He could tell their present circumstances are quite hard. Their daily situation was draining upon them. It was weighing them down. And in their weariness and time of weakness, they were losing stamina to carry on. And in connection to that, they began to then question the awareness as well as the involvement of God in their struggles. That's why God references what he could hear them saying in their hearts or out loud. Again, see it there in our text, verse 27. God says, why are you saying my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim has been passed over by my God? So God could see the people were wrestling with challenging thoughts. God, they thought, was not seeing or aware of the heavy load that they were under, that God somehow wasn't paying attention to the struggle that they were going through circumstantially. And even worse, the end of verse 27 indicates that God had stopped listening to their plea for help as if God wasn't even interested. They say, our just claim has been passed over by God. The idea is our claim came across God's desk there in heaven and he just, he just put it aside. And he just stuck our claim to the side and he hasn't addressed our file in years or in a long season. One translation renders this verse. How can you say the Lord does not see our troubles? Why do you say my cause has been disregarded by God? But yes, sometimes when we struggle in life, we tend to feel like God's overlooked us, right? If we were all to be honest. And when it's a hard time or a difficult experience, sometimes we even kind of can feel like God's ignoring our situation. And our despairing thoughts give birth to untruth statements about God. God must not care what I'm going through. He has to know. He must not care what I'm going through. Or, or why is God just overlooking what's happening and not doing anything to help me? And the normal tendency when we're under pressure is to sometimes start to get wrong perceptions in our minds towards God. We start to see things through the lens of our human feelings instead of through eyes of faith, the way that we're supposed to live. Again, the Bible says the just shall live by faith, not by feelings. And But yet sometimes under the pressure and the load, our thoughts begin to drift and our emotions get entangled and we start to get wrong perceptions about God or what's happening. 
And we start to have a wrong perception and even question God's care or even God's concern. And we see this throughout the scripture many times. We've seen this in our study on Wednesday night through the book of Psalms, just the, the raw honesty and humanity. And I think that's why we've been enjoying the Wednesday night study so much. Psalm 13, the psalmist declared this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Again, the psalmist in his humanity is just expressing in a very real and raw way his human emotions. And he's saying, Lord, I don't understand. How much longer is this season going to be like this? How long, Lord? It seems like you're not paying attention. It seems like you're not engaged, like you're not involved. And again, this was what he was feeling. He was genuinely struggling. And just expressing that in the New Testament, we see the same thing. Mark chapter four. Remember, that was occasion where Jesus said to his disciples these words. He said, let us cross over to the other side. Now, whenever Jesus says, let us cross over to the other side and he gets into the boat with you. No matter how bad the storm is along the way, as long as you stay on board and don't abandon ship, you are going to get to the other side. That's the important thing to remember the Lord is on board. And so as long as the Lord's on board and I don't jump ship and go overboard because it's getting difficult, I'm going to get to the other side. Well, Jesus said, let us go to the other side. But then we remember what happens. It says that after that, he got into the boat and it says, as they started to go across the water, a great windstorm arose. And so the winds were contrary and the waves were rough and it was miserable conditions and they were struggling and the boat was filling with water and it looked bad and it was hard and they were genuinely going through a very difficult time. And it tells us that Jesus was resting asleep on a pillow, remember, and his disciples ran over and woke him up and they said this, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Don't you see we're perishing here? We are not going to make it. The ship is going down and you seem to be completely at peace with that. And the reason was because Jesus knew no matter how bad the storm got, he was at peace with the fact that he was in control. He was completely in control. And yes, it was difficult for them. Remember, Jesus ends up getting up and it just says that he says, peace, be still. And everything goes calm. The instant he decided everything went calm and, and he showed his authority over all things. But again, there's that human tendency. We see it again, even with his very followers. They said, Lord, don't you care? That is a common human thought and feeling in hard times to actually start to think or to feel like maybe the Lord doesn't care. Look, we've all been guilty at times when under pressure or in weariness of wrongly thinking and even more falsely accusing God that he doesn't care or that he's not involved, or he's not helping as he should. And God challenges that doubtful, hopeless mindset in our verses here in verse 27. In essence, God says, why are you saying those things? Why are you? I know it's hard, but why are you doubting me? Why are you saying that I'm not aware of your situation? Why are you letting yourself believe that I'm not interested in your circumstances, that that's what I would be like? See, the truth is, there is nothing in life or creation that God does not care for. The exact opposite is true about God in truth, that he is not a negligent father. 
There are negligent fathers. God is not a negligent father. He is a faithful, good, and loving father. He sees everything. Job 34 says his eyes are on the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. God cares about people greatly and is incredibly loving and compassionate and kind, despite what circumstances make us see and think and feel from time to time. The struggle is, I think, is that sometimes we can tend to wrongly uh, compare God to human beings. And we kind of can make this mistake where we incorrectly compare God to other people on earth. And again, if I can illustrate, sometimes important and powerful people in status sometimes can tend to be individuals who dismiss other people. If they're powerful and important, they may dismiss other people as if they're just, that's an insignificant person. Or that's someone that's not really necessary of or worthy of my time or my efforts. They're unessential. But do I dare to question God to be like that? As if somehow God is like a human being? That though God is great and important and awesome, do I wrongly assume my human reasoning that God is too busy with world affairs? He's got a lot he's managing. But he's just so great and so busy with so many things to consider my little measly life situation. I mean, I'm so insignificant. Look, the reality is this. God's not too great to care. He is actually too great not to care. Let me say that again, because it's actually written and highlighted in my notes there. God is not too great to care. He's actually too great not to care. The Bible tells us in Psalm 145, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And then it adds this, for the Lord is good to all. The idea is to everyone. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Why? Because he is good to everyone. The idea is he shows partiality to no one. One aspect of God's greatness is that he is equally good to every single person. He is equally loving and kind and helpful to every single person. Jesus revealed the care of his father in heaven like a good, loving, attentive father to his children. That was how Jesus always portrayed the father in heaven. Remember, Jesus would say things like, your father cares for the temporary grass of the field and he supplies for the birds of the air. Aren't you of so much more value than grass out in the field that's there today and mowed down tomorrow? And Jesus said, the very hairs of your head are numbered. And your father is aware even when one little sparrow falls from the tree to the ground. And then he would say, aren't you of way more value than a tiny little bird that falls to the ground from time to time? And yet the father cares for those things. Certainly he cares for you. And he was trying to draw those contrasts. Despite how incredibly busy and great and glorious our God is, this morning, can I remind you, he loves you very much. You are incredibly valuable to him. Your family is incredibly valued to him. Your future and every situation that you're dealing with and what's going on in your life, the everyday details, he is available for you. He is interested in your situation. And let me say, don't let your mind think wrong things about God. Mine wants to. But don't let your mind think wrong things about God. That only breaks the Heavenly Father's heart, and it only makes the struggles when they come way more difficult. Because the struggle is hard enough, is it not, from time to time? 
But when you think wrong things about God, it just further weighs us down. Instead, can I suggest this? Let the truth of God's word properly guide your thinking about God. That's why it's important we always be in the word of God. Letting the truth of God's word renew our mind and help us think properly about who God is and what God feels and thinks and will do for us in his promises. Well, God seeks, notice, to take their focus off of their circumstances and hardships that were draining them and to put their attention, what? On who he is. Look what happens in verse 28. God then begins to carry them onward by saying, have you not known? Have you not heard, God says? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So notice in verse 28, we see that very clearly God has no limitations like people do. It's almost like God knew they were comparing him to a person wrongly. And God says, unlike people, I don't have limitations. I don't ever have a lack of resources. Nothing ever, listen, Nothing ever restricts God. Things restrict me, things restrict you because we have limitations, but nothing hinders God. He begins by telling them in verse 28 here, first of all, that they needed to recall and reflect upon the truth they already knew about God. You see what he says there in our verse, verse 28? He says, have you not known? In other words, don't you already know these things? And have you not already heard these things? See, what God is indicating here is there were certain things they already knew to be true about God. There were certain things they'd already heard that were true about God. And God's identifying their mistake was they were allowing themselves under the pressure to wrongly think and say things like someone who didn't know God, who had never heard such great things about God. And God says, haven't, haven't you already heard these things? You know these things. You're just forgetting them, God's saying. You've heard these truths about me. You know these things to be accurate. They had kind of overlooked and forgotten God's nature. And God says, step one, we need to reconsider who I am. We need to take a moment and recall once again my greatness and my attributes. And you know, when you recall, and I recall the greatness of the attributes of God, there is something about that that very wonderfully helps us to kind of renew our spiritual outlook. So God says here in verse 28, He says, have you forgotten? He says, first of all, verse 28, that I am the everlasting God. The idea is the timeless one. God's been around from everlasting before anything, and God will outlast everything and everybody. He is not only the beginning, or he's not, you know, one who knows the beginning and knows the end. The Bible says he is the beginning, and he is the end. He's the everlasting God. And look, here's where that's practically helpful for us because that means there's nothing that God has never seen. There's not like a circumstance that arises in my life that he goes, now that's a tough one. Whoa, never seen something like that before. There's not like a situation that arises or a new government policy or a new thing that's going on where God goes, now, man, I never knew that was going to happen in humanity. You know, I was just actually laying in bed last evening pondering this reality, the fact that for all of human history, through every war, every time period from centuries ago, God has been involved in the lives of humanity through all of those things. Everything that's happened through human history, you might fairly say this, God's really experienced. He's very experienced. 
There's nothing he's not acquainted with or aware of. He is very experienced in all matters of life. We lack experience, but God's really experienced. He's been helping people for a long time. And he knows how to engage each situation. He says, don't forget, I'm the everlasting God. I'm very experienced. And he says, I am the Lord. That's that Hebrew tetragrammaton, the the YHVH. The the word literally means the all-sufficient one or the all-becoming one. That's why often we see that name attached to different titles that speak of God's attributes. You know, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provision. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. The idea is whatever we need, God becomes. Do you need provision? God will become your provision. Do you need peace? God will become your peace. Do you need protection? God will become your protection. That whatever we need, he is the all-becoming Lord to provide and supply whatever is necessary for us in whatever the situation is. He thirdly says of himself that he is, verse 28, the creator of the ends of the earth. God has created everything that exists, and he is now the controller of everything in creation. He created things, and he's controlling and managing everything in creation, which reminds us that whatever is challenging us in this earthly existence It is completely under God's control because God's controlling everything as the creator of all things. The idea is that God is all powerful, his creative ability. He's capable to accomplish anything as needed. I don't know how this is going to work out. Look, God can create whatever it takes to make it work out. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He can speak things into existence. He has the power to do those things. He fourthly says of God in verse 28 that he neither faints nor is weary. That is, unlike human beings, God is unable to get tired. He's actually unable to get worn out. He's not able to be able to to get wearied. He never needs rest. God's energy and power is limitless. Psalm 62 says power belongs to God. It's his Unlike you and I, he never gets weary. He never has a fainting fit. He never weakens. He has no fatigue factor. No matter how much he does for you, he never gets tired. He can always still do more. A contrast to us. And then fifth and finally, he says here that his understanding is unsearchable. The idea is beyond our discovery. God understands and is aware of everything. Unlike you and I, he's all-knowing. His understanding is just so incredibly vast His ways go beyond our human understanding because our problem is we can't see the full picture, right? In the day when we would go and watch parades, you know, we're on the street corner and we see one float at a time. My girls used to twirl baton and so we'd go to the parades and watch them twirl baton. And, and, you know, I'll be very honest as a dad, I basically waited until their group went by and then I left the parade. That was was it. I just, sometimes I could even time it to my wife. Which street are they on? 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 Okay. Go up to the corner, watch them go by. Who cares about the rest of the parade? But we see, we see you know, one float at a time, one float at a time. That's how we get life. God sees the vantage view from above. God sees everything. He sees what's come. He sees what's happening. He sees already what's down the road. And the wonderful thing is that God is all-knowing in that way, and God in his providence works in our lives by his power in such a way that he knows all of the past experiences and their impact, He knows the current situation and what's going on, and he already knows next week, next month, next year, and he coordinates all those things by his power and his wisdom with his understanding to help us in the process. Now, we can't relate to that. That's why we struggle. 
but we can know there's a God who does. We can know there's a God who's working. Romans 11 says, oh, the depths of both the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. And Ephesians 1 tells us that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Look, let me say to you this morning, that means this. Often I may not understand or see how God is working. But I can know because of who God is, not my perception, he always is working. That somehow in his way, he is working in his timetable and his purposes. And sometimes when we're struggling with life, we actually truly need to stop focusing on the outlook and just step back and look up to the Lord and look at the greatness of God. And that helps us to get our eyes off of the outlook and what's going on currently, because the point that God wants us to hear is that he is a mighty, awesome, and all-powerful God. And that's what Isaiah 40 is all about, to show us his great power, to give us encouragement. Now, here's the wonderful thing. He says, verse 29, he gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. So not only does God possess great power, but guess what he does with his power? He shares it, right? You see what he says there? God has all this power. He's talking about the power of God. And then he says, all that power that he has, he's not like a super rich person that says, it's all mine, all my resources. God says, no, I I share my resources. I love to give my resources away. God says, all my power. He says, all that I possess. He says, I give my power to people who are weak. God doesn't just have great power. He actually imparts his great power to you and I. That's part of what his plan includes, to impart his power to you and I in our human weakness and to share that power with us as we need it. What a great promise. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29 is there to just ponder and to trust and expectantly. This morning, are you weak? God says, I give my power to people who are weak. He says, do you feel like you don't have the strength for something? God says, I'll increase your strength so that you'll be able to handle whatever you feel you can't handle. And what a glorious assurance from God. Oftentimes we do feel like that. I don't have the strength for this. I I don't know. I just don't have the strength for this. And God says, I know you don't have the strength for this. But I increase the strength of those who aren't strong enough to handle something. I know that you feel weak and you're thinking, I just, I feel so weak. I don't know how to handle this. I feel so insufficient. God says, I'll give you power that you lack. When we lack strength and humbly admit that, God increases our strength with his supernatural impartation of power. The Bible teaches this continuously. Jesus himself said in Acts chapter one, as he was encouraging believers from the very start of the church, he said, you shall receive power When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, God said, you're not going to receive power by mustering up your own strength to strive harder. God says you will receive power when you have been baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. You are endued with power from heaven and you'll serve in the power of God and a supernatural power will begin to work through you. The problem is, if we were to be honest, is we often fail to accept and admit our own human weakness. That's actually probably the biggest problem that we all get ourselves into in regards to receiving God's power. Sometimes God must actually, I think, perhaps wait for us to kind of weaken. It seemed this perhaps was Paul the Apostle's challenge in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
you know, we see Paul kind of alluding to this thing in his own personal experience. And if you look at the life of Paul the Apostle, I mean, Paul the, Paul the Apostle, I mean, he was a grinder. As a Christian, he was a grinder in ministry. I mean, this guy was like a bull ox plowing through the known world of that time, planning churches, preaching the gospel, ministering to people. And I think Paul was a rather strong and somewhat probably maybe a little bit self-sufficient guy to a degree. And your greatest strength can be your biggest weakness, right? So the Bible tells us as God was using Paul in a powerful way, it tells us that Paul describes what happened in his life. He said, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of these revelations I was receiving from the Lord. He said, a thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me, the buffet is to, to punch. So he says, I had this physical affliction that came into my life. And then I had a messenger of Satan punching me in the gut the whole time saying, how you like that affliction? How you like that affliction? How you like that affliction? I like that affliction. If God loves you, you wouldn't have that affliction, would you? You think God loves you? And so he said, I had this affliction going on. And then on top of it, I had the constant affliction of the voice of the devil speaking discouragement into my ears. And Paul says this concerning this, I pleaded, didn't pray, pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Lord, please take this unpleasant thing that is in my life, out of my life. Lord, it's holding me back. And I think Paul thought that, Lord, if you could just change this, I would soar. And Jesus was looking at it saying, Paul, you think that's holding you back. What you don't realize is that actually is going to help you. And Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord. And what did Paul hear? This is what he heard Jesus say. My grace is sufficient for you for my strength. My supernatural strength is made complete or perfect in your weakness. Paul, it's actually in your weakness that you're stronger. So that's why Paul said these words. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, health issues, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I will take pleasure in infirmities. I'm not there yet. In reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. And then Paul's coin statement for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, I have found actually the weaker I become as a human being and the more I recognize my own weakness and the more I admit my own weakness, he said, I actually become stronger spiritually, stronger in the Lord because that's what allows the power of the Lord to rest upon me and the grace of the Lord supernaturally. And Paul experienced the power of the Lord in light of his human weakness. Look what verse 30 says. Paul says, e, or the writer here, even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall, he says. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles and run and not be weary and walk and not faint. So again, the idea, verse 30 there, everyone has limitations, whether you're Paul the Apostle, whether you're whoever, everybody has limitations and times of weakness in their humanity. And the writer says in verse 30 here, even the strongest, he used the term youths, even the strongest fail under the load at times. When he says there in verse 30, even the youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall utterly fall. The, the idea there, it pictures those in peak condition. That's the idea. Youths, those who are young, 
Those who are in peak condition with strength and energy and ability, even those best suited to succeed because they're fragile human beings, they will at times also buckle under the load of life. Even those in peak condition will face situations where it just becomes a little too hard or overwhelming even for them. And as a result, they get weary and they can faint under the load. And as I said earlier, there are many different ways that we can be wearied. As human beings with these fleshly, earthly bodies right now, our fleshly bodies can get wearied. We can become physically exhausted. Even Jesus himself, who took a body of flesh and lived as a man, John 4, it says Jesus sat down at the well being weary from his journey. In his humanity, Jesus experienced physical weakness and weariness. We can become emotionally overwhelmed and weary. Hebrews 12 speaks of being weary and discouraged in our soul. You ever felt weary in your soul? It's not that you're physically tired. Just mentally, emotionally, inwardly, you just feel wearied under the weight of what's going on emotionally, mentally in your life. Psalm 61, we saw it recently. He speaks there saying, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the place that's higher than I. We can also, from time to time, just be mentally drained. Again, as we've seen that in the Psalms, depression and anxiety and despair and, and all those things that can drain us mentally. And even, of course, spiritually, we can become tempted and we can falter and we can fall from time to time spiritually. We can fall into unbelief, doubt. We can fall into sin and make mistakes. You notice he says here in verse 30, take note, he doesn't say, even the youths might faint, even young men might utterly fall. He says twice, shall. The idea is it will happen from time to time. The indication there very clearly is even those in peak condition, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, from time to time, they're going to falter. They're going to buckle under the load. It's a part of human experience. Look, part of learning how to walk is falling. Raised three children. Not one of them the first time got up and just zoomed across the room. Part of learning to walk is falling. Part of learning to walk in life, part of learning how to walk with God. Is, is falling from time to time. It's a part of the experience, part of walking through rough terrain, hills and valleys. Sometimes you lose your footing. Sometimes you fall, you slip back, you stumble. Falling is a part of life. It's getting back up afterwards, right? That's what matters the most. And the scripture so clearly indicates, 2 Samuel 16, 14 says, David and his men became weary. 1 Kings 19, we see Elijah, this powerful prophet of God, overwhelmed and tired in his ministry, saying, Lord, just kill me. I'm done. I tap out. Early retirement, Lord. Paul, the apostle himself in Galatians 6 says, and let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up or lose heart. And notice Paul says, let us. He doesn't say to the Galatians, hey, stop getting weary. What's the matter with you people there in that church? He says, let us. Paul says, I get weary sometimes too, but we can't lose heart. We just, we just got to keep going. We got to keep going and trust God ultimately that he's going to do what he's going to do. Even the best and strongest at times get weary and have fainting fits. And let me say this morning, if that has been your experience or is your experience, don't feel condemned by that. 
Don't be ashamed of that reality and put up the stiff upper lip. It doesn't work in the Christian life. Humility, honesty, reality, admitting that you're a person of flesh, that weariness happens. Look, perhaps in the times when we have fainting fits or we fall, there's a lesson to learn during those times. Sometimes those are the greatest lessons of humility to realize maybe that you're not quite as tough as you think. Maybe you're not quite as strong as you think you are, or maybe that you want others to think you are. And sometimes there are great lessons of humility to learn. Maybe it's to teach us how much we truly need God in our life personally, and we can't just survive by leaning on all of our own spiritual resources from the past, and we're going to just tap into our reservoirs of past spiritual experience. And God says, no, you need me daily, daily, dude. Daily you need me. You can't quote Bible verses from last week's devotion. You need a word from the Lord for today. You need daily strength and daily help. And this is the idea here. And how do we receive the experience and power of God that we need in our weariness and in our times when we stumble? He says right here in our verses, it's by seeking God continuously. Look what he says. Youths faint, young men utterly fall. Verse 31, here's the key. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Now, to wait does not mean to sit idle. That's what we think. Oh, I'm just, I'm just going to do nothing. I'm just going to wait till God does something. The word wait there literally is a term that means to attend to something with expectation and giving attention to it. Kind of like today, if you go out to lunch after church and you have a waiter, a server, they don't just do nothing, right? They're attending to you. They're waiting on you. He says those who wait on the Lord. The idea here, waiting on the Lord, is continually seeking to please the Lord, looking unto the Lord expectantly, giving your attention to him. In fact, the Hebrew term there, when you look at it, is actually a term that is used from time to time to speak of intertwining two things together, which is very interesting when you consider those who intertwine their life together with God shall receive strength. I like that picture. I have to intertwine my life together with God as I wait upon him experientially. This makes me think of what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10. Jesus said, with men, it is impossible. But then he says, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. What's the key term there? One word, with. With God. The idea is together with God. You can't do it alone, Jesus is saying. You'll never make it alone. But if your life is intertwined with God, if my life is intertwined with the life of God, Luke one thirty seven says, with God, nothing will be impossible. Without God, a lot of stuff's impossible. A lot of stuff is overwhelming. But he says, with God, if you intertwine your life with God, just interweave your life with his that's the major key, because when we're together with God, all that he possesses becomes my experience. All of his power becomes power imparted to me as he gives power to the weak. And as I have no might, he increases my strength. The promise for those who wait on God right there in verse 31, those who intertwine or wait upon the Lord in faith, he says they shall. That's a promise. Shall renew their strength. I love that word renew. The Hebrew speaks of making an exchange. The idea is giving up one thing and receiving something different. 
And so what he's saying there, they shall renew their strength. The idea is to receive something new in place of what you had prior. That is, I'm exchanging my weakness for his strength in place. I'm exchanging and receiving his strength in place of my shortfall of power. He supplies what I don't have and what's lacking in my life. He makes up the shortfalls. He renews my strength with supernatural strength now, giving me the ability to operate in his power with fresh batches of strength being renewed to us. Philippians 4, when Paul was describing how sometimes life is difficult, other times life isn't too difficult, Paul in the midst of that says right there, but I can do all things. That is not only the easy times, but the hard times. But Paul says, through Christ who strengthens me. And that's the only way. One of my favorite New Testament verses of Ephesians chapter 3 is where it speaks of being strengthened with might and power through his spirit in the inner man. How wonderful that God says in your inner person, my supernatural spirit can strengthen you in the inner person to give you a supernatural ability to do something that's not natural. That if you were just doing it naturally, you would never be able to survive it. You would never be able to do it. And God says, with might and power by my spirit, I can supernaturally infuse power. What a wonderful promise. Those who wait on the Lord, a renewal of strength, a fresh batch of strength. And notice the results of that renewing of our strength. He says, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. He illustrates receiving strength like operating in power that's not generated from ourselves. When he talks about this analogy here, that it's like mounting up with wings like eagles, that is like a soaring eagle. Now, I'm not a uh, bird scientific person, but I researched that concept of a eagle soaring. And let me read to you what I discovered. It says this, eagles may appear to be floating but they're actually riding on columns of warm air known as thermals. Thermals are generated when the sun warms the earth's surface and indirectly heating the air closest to the ground, causing that hot air to rise. Soaring birds like eagles use that rising air to gain elevation and remain aloft for extended periods, listen, without flapping their wings. It is tapping into and utilizing an energy source that is not generated from the eagle's own effort, but yielding to a power that is not of themselves. Wow, is that interesting? What a beautiful analogy, like the eagle utilizing a power source that comes from somewhere else to soar instead of having to flap its own wings and its own energy. It's a picture of the power of God via the supernatural enabling of the spirit. That's why Zechariah 4 says to us, it's not by might, nor by your human power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The idea is that we come to the place where we learn how to humbly admit and recognize, I'm a weakling, man. I have nothing to bring to the table. I have no strength to impart to the process. And I've got to learn how to fully rely upon and yield to the supernatural power of the Lord as I wait upon him and he continues to renew me with his strength. And notice the progression, this is astonishing, is not the way you would expect it to be because look what he says at the end of verse 31. He says, they shall renew their strength, mounting up with wings like eagles, soaring, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Now, we would expect the progression there to be when you receive supernatural strength and power from the Lord, 
that you would walk, then you would run, then you would soar like Superman spiritually, right? That's what you'd expect. You walk, then you get running, and if you're really filled with the Spirit, man, you soar. You soar, you become like a spiritual superhero. But the Bible shows it in the exact opposite. The Bible shows the progression of receiving supernatural power from the Lord as soaring, then running and not getting weary, and then walking, he says, and not fainting. I can't help but to wonder if possibly because God knows it's because we're still on earth. And we have human bodies plagued with weakness and illness and sickness and suffering and sin. And we're still facing hard, difficult, draining experiences. Because God understands this, that one of the greatest marks of spiritual maturity is being able to faithfully walk with him through every season. And to just keep walking with him. You know, I don't often quote authors, but I admit I, from time to time, find something like this is a Warren Wearsby quote. And Wearsby's got some great commentaries and books. And this, what he said here was just too incredible to not pass on to you regarding this passage. Listen to what he says. He says, as we wait before him, God enables us to soar when there's a crisis. To run when challenges are many. And to walk faithfully in the day-to-day demands of life. It is much harder to walk in the ordinary pressures of life than to fly like an eagle in a time of crisis. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. The greatest heroes of faith are not always those who seem to be soaring. Often it is they who are patiently plodding. As we wait before the Lord, he enables us to not only fly higher and run faster, but also to walk longer. Blessed are the plotters, for they eventually arrive at their destination. Blessed are the plotters. You know, perhaps if you are wearied in your walk, maybe the answer is not straining harder. Maybe the answer is just stepping back and seeking the Lord and asking him to pour out his Holy Spirit upon your life in a fresh way. Lord, would you just pour out your spirit and power upon me? Hebrews 12 says, don't become weary and discouraged in your souls. And Psalm 27 says, those who wait upon the Lord, he shall strengthen your heart. Wait upon the Lord. You know, let me encourage you as we sing a final song this morning. Let this be a moment not to run out and go do something, but for three, four minutes as we sing a final song to genuinely wait upon the Lord and ask him, Lord, can't do it. I need the power of your Holy Spirit. Renew my strength. Let's stand together. Let's pray.